Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. You might be wondering why we're talking about salmon for this latest episode in December, but as we get closer to the start of the season on January the 1st, the IFI are busy finalising the data from the salmon tags for the 2022 season to make the final decision on what rivers will be open next year. So we decided to speak to Kevin Crowley from the IFI to find out more about the data they have to give us some insights into the salmon numbers from this year and indeed how the whole process works. Kevin also has some interesting insights into policy and strategy around the salmon and it's well worth the listen. But first, Tom, how was your salmon season? Mandar. Yeah, um, well, I don't do a huge amount of salmon fishing and probably the, the fact that uh, there's a few salmon that run the lake here always keeps me a small bit interested in it. But like, don't get the chance to go away. So uh, I'm already making excuses for it, as you can see. So um, yeah, after the season, I had two, two salmon. That was it. I used two tags, and um, that was it them? for the year. I, well, actually, to be honest, I had one on the car, and I had one back in Connemara on, on the fly. Went back to um, a fish kind more, had one there on the fly, and uh, one here. Always do a bit, um, it's kind of a traditional thing. I'll always do a bit, um, a session or two, trolling for them, just to see can I get one, because that, they're n- nice to get and like I grew up doing it and it's kind of the old way doing it so mm. yeah um, early season is that when you go trolling for them, is it? no early. generally it's when, when the first grill run comes in so it's about the end of June end of July so ah, I don't okay. get to do a huge amount like you you do you'd probably do way more salmon fishing than me how was how's yours mixed it's kind of do you know what I don't know whether I'm getting old or what like I'm trying <laughs> to think back I can't even remember back to see I think what happened was Greenland just was like the shining light that just, you know, was like the bright light that just outshot everything else this year. Um, I would normally get out. Uh, I was in the drows January the first couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I would normally get out Blackwater because Blackwater is only half an hour from here. Um, so I'd normally get out when that opens on the first, in around the first. That's really more just to kind of, Dust down the cobwebs, you know, and just you know, just to do it. And, yeah, yeah. I've, been out, oh, geez, yeah. I've been out in some horrendous conditions. Jesus Christ, um, <laughs> that makes you just question your sanity. Like, um, and then I really kind of get into it. Then, and then the shore opens here on Paddy's Day, but that's trout mainly I do around here on the shore. So then, for me, the salmon really is kind of May, June, July. Um, I always find that there's a, always a flood at the end of June. I know that we had a big mad drought, but there's always that rain. Remember we spoke to um, uh, Jason Nash about the bandit? Yeah, yeah, that's right, always, actually. Yeah. I'm always looking out for that flood at the end of, yeah. kind of June, start of July, because you're just, it's a brilliant time to be, to be on the river. But it's funny, do you know what? The, the trout, the trout, the shore and the trout at Ireland for me is like my local. But yeah. then for the salmon fishing, what I always try and do is, if I can book places, you know, throughout the season. So like, you know, and that for me is actually part of the attraction for it. Um, And, you know, so if I can go to the Dreads, if I can go to Delphi, if I can, you know, I I always try to even get down to Karad, not for the salmon, but like that's for me what the salmon angling is actually about. It's a bit like with Greenland is that if I can make it a trip. It's more more of a journey. Like, like how far is the closest salmon fishing to you? Like like I said, like the Blackwater is half an hour, which is nothing. Yeah, so it's not too bad. But I, I, I'm, I'm one of those kind of faraway hills of green here, nearly in the sense of, you know, I'd always love to be. But yeah, I think part of it is the whole thing is the whole package that you treat yourself to. Yeah. Do you know, 
Yeah. It's the going away. It's the bit of the journey. I mean, it's not even maybe staying away, but looking forward to the journey. That I mean, I know it myself. Sometimes I love, like, I love the drive to Melbourne up in the morning. I love the yeah. drive to Loch Lean in the morning. Yeah. I just love that. It's a, it's the anticipation, you know? Exactly, because, like, and the thing is, like, I'd get down to the Blackwater, you know, maybe half a dozen times during the year, um, but I'm fitting it in, if you know what I mean. So it's the kids are dropped to school. You know, yeah. I might have two, three hours. I get down there, and that's not, when you're going salmon fishing, you can't, you know, if you want to be, good at it like unless you're doing that every bloody day but like you need that kind of day you know what i mean that you can say right i'm going off for the day and even then you're so dependent on the bloody conditions as well like you know oh like trying to get it right like it's trying it's, to get a needle in a haystack yeah exactly and everything you all the gods conspire for you yeah as wow. a wise man once said to me the best salmon anglers are usually the wealthiest yeah <laughs> who would that have been <laughs> there's some truth in it like there there is a bit there is a bit um it was interesting there when we were chatting to kevin uh, and he's and there's a thing i was going to say as well is because i rang him to say and he said oh i'm currently compiling the licenses and as he said it to me i knew that my license was in the dashboard of my car (laughs) (laughs) but it was interesting to talk to him and it's a thing i suppose we should remind all salmon anglers it's really important that you do put your license back yeah and it's not like it's it's not that it's an administrative task okay that's obviously part of but actually the main reason i hadn't realized talking to kevin is it's actually the collection of this data in the Mm -hmm. sense of how it's so important for them in terms of being able to build up you know the kind of picture of the rivers and you know the salmon catches and what's there so it is actually it comes back to citizen science again like yeah it really you know i really had never thought of it much in that regard or to just chat to kevin yeah, and yeah, how important it is, you know, along with things, you know, with the tools they have with them. I thought personally, I thought that the fish counters are fascinating. It's an interesting episode of this because you know we find out about the processes, you know, and like I said, the kind of questions people might have had about the tagging, you know, the the, the collection of the data, um, and you know, even talking about salmon numbers from the recent from recent mm, years. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some interesting insights. So look, I tell you, look, let's hear from Kevin now. Uh, and I first asked him about um, what he could tell us about the salmon numbers from the 2022 season. We use a few different bits of data to assess the salmon runs. Um, one of them is the angling returns. And we're still going through those because, you know, October the 19th was the last date for um, putting in the licenses. But there are a lot still trickling in. And it's, it's a time intensive job in putting those onto the system. And we've staff around the country in each RBD office doing that at the moment. And I'm told it, it could be March or April before we have a full angling catch return. Um, for 2022 counter data from fish counters is is um, up to date um, I don't have the actual figures I'm not privy to those yet um, until the report is published but I have been chatting to our, our guys who run the fish counters and um, this year runs were okay-ish a good spring run um, a very good spring run in some places um, a poor grills run this year and the grills that we observed were small um, in size and, and thinner than normal. But then there was a good autumn run as well, a late run. Um, now, we had a very, very dry summer um, around the country. And that really affected the salmon angling and, and the runs of fish during July, especially, you know, when it was very low water. So, you know, until we get the, the full count and the full angling catch, can't say, but... 
certainly down a little bit. Um, the only river that was really bucking the trend was the Feel in Kerry, which had a very good run, uh, apparently. Um, other rivers, the state fisheries around the place, you know, were, were down in catches. Um, private fisheries, we won't know until we've gone through all the, the catch returns, yeah, from, from the logbooks. Just on the um, the anglers in terms of returning um, the tags and the, the returns for the year, do you have, like, what kind of percentage of anglers do actually return? Um, it's It has been as high as 70%, I think, in some years, which is good um, and, and gives us a good uh, basis for, for looking at the data. Um, in recent years, it's it's coming down a bit. I don't know, people are getting lazy or just forgetting. And, and we run publicity campaigns every year to try and remind people to get it in, you know, and, and people get reminder emails. Anglers need to know, like, this is one of the important bits of data, especially if a river doesn't have a counter on it, that the scientists use to assess the number of salmon in the river and whether that river is meeting its conservation limit. So if they're not submitting their, their catch returns, you know, it's not helping us keep the river open, if you know what I mean. I know, it goes out of your mind, and I think awareness the constant kind of, especially in October, the constant emails, the constant reminders, and you see it in the newsletter, does help because I'm the type, I'd be thinking, oh, you just have to get that done. And, you know, you get another reminder, and you go, oh, yeah, I'll get that done. And then the third reminder, okay, I better get that done. You know, and it is that. And, and you do. You eventually yeah. do get it. Yeah. And I'm late myself every year too, you know. I can't. Well, I, hi, Kevin, how's it going? But I have to say, uh, my, my reminder was when I contacted you about three weeks ago. <laughs> And uh, we're setting this up. And you said, well, still waiting for the license to come back. And I went, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had a bunch of them in your car. <laughs> yeah. I actually haven't been in my car when I was talking to you. Yeah. So, but uh, it's really true what you say, because, um, you know, you got to, you know, this knowledge, knowledge is everything. And, you know, by, you know, not putting back your returns, it, it you know, it doesn't help things. It doesn't help things, you know. No, it doesn't, um, especially on the rivers where we don't have a counter. Mm. Um, but even on the rivers where we do have a counter, I mean, the counter could be at the bottom of the river and give us a run of 2,000 fish. But we need to know how many fish were removed by anglers upstream of that as well, you know, to give us the number of spawning fish, you know. So it, it's vital data that the, the scientists really need to, to assess the conservation limits. Is That's it right. too late to send it in still so for people? Listening? No, it's never too late. Get it in. <laughs> yeah. If, any, if anyone's out there. If you don't have the envelope, you know, because I know it's prepaid. You can, you can drop it in. And, and I suppose that's a reminder to anglers as well. It's, like you said, it's a conservation issue. You know, salmon anglers were always talking about conservation and the importance of kind of, um, you know, the future of, of stocks of the fish. So this is our way. It's not just a paperwork admin, you know, tick, check the tick box, fill in exercise. It's, it's yeah, not just an enforcement yeah. thing. A license, yeah. the logbook is actually citizen science and, and you're actually participating in the decision-making process of whether rivers stay open or not by, by returning her. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's crucial. Yeah. And it really is actually just going back there. Cause I, I'm intrigued by them, the, the counters. So how many rivers in the state do we have counters on? So we have about 40 operational counters in, in the state. About 30 of those are on salmon rivers and are used in the assessment of, of, um, run salmon runs for conservation limits and setting quotas. So we have a good spread around the country, almost all the major salmon rivers and a lot of smaller ones are, are covered. 
and we've expanded it hugely in recent years and and um, I'm sure pretty sure research are looking to to get more in all the time you know um counters are they're vitally important um without that we would have no idea of of how many fish are coming back and whether the trend is up or down etc so they're really important tools you just touched on something there when you were mentioning and I'd never thought of it let's say you said let's say a system has 2000 coming in and then from the returns on the licenses you can work out how many fish were taken of that 2000 do you have an average figure of or percentage of the amount of salmon that are caught by rod and line um, not, you know, to my, not, to, not to hand um, I've seen research before where it was 10 to 15 percent can right. be higher on spring salmon apparently mm. uh, you know but but of the overall run about 15 percent are often taken by anglers but again that depends on the system whether there's lakes, which would be a refuge for, for a fish or just a river where they're constantly seeing flies coming over them. Uh, if it's a small system or if it's a big system where they get spread out into tributaries, you know, so it, 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 it'll be extremely variable. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Is it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'm just wondering, are the last few years of kind of the climate, the way it's getting, is it creating a bit of a kind of an asterisk beside kind of what we're seeing in terms of numbers? Um. Well, you know, salmon have to come back to the river to spawn. And, and if they do, they're going to pass a counter if, it's, if there's a counter on the river. So they, they may be held up in estuaries or at sea for quite a while if there's a drought, but they will come in eventually. Um, now, they're subject to greater predation pressures from seals, etc., in estuaries, and the longer they, they have to stay there. So getting them into the river is, is ideal. And it's not hard to extrapolate because we can see the figures from the counters we don't know what's happening downstream of the counters. Um, and certainly climate change is a big worry. Uh, if we get longer, drier summers, um, that'll be a big worry too. Um, in recent years, we've had a couple of heat waves where water temperatures hit close to lethal temperatures for salmonids in, in many of our rivers. And that, again, is a big worry. If that's, if that's going to be an annual event, you know, whether salmon will survive in numbers um, in some of those rivers is, is, you know, who knows? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, me- I remember saying, um, like, I think I said this to you before, so I remember seeing a presentation from Ken Whelan um, and it was the temperature of the waters around Ireland, like since the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2020, and it's bloody scary. You know, you, you, Absolutely, you, yeah. It's, it's you going know. up and up. The map just gets redder and redder, and we're talking. You know, this is Atlantic yeah. waters. Yeah, you know? there there are things we can do to mitigate it. I mean, um, planting along rivers, shading of rivers, you know, can help. Um, uh, less drainage, drainage. You know, if we're draining bogs and we're draining marginal uh, farmland to create more grass for cows, basically, water is running off quicker, so we're more susceptible to droughts. In the past, the bogs that weren't drained and the rough ground that wasn't drained would have acted like a sponge and, and let water off much more slowly. And so you didn't get these really low flows in, in summer. But now so much drainage has happened around the country, especially in recent years that, you know, you get rain, but it's gone. It's gone through the river in, in much quicker time. And, and there's no buffer there. There isn't a reservoir or a sponge of water 
you know, letting off for weeks afterwards. Is that an ongoing issue for you guys in terms of your role? Um, and I suppose even just within the wider kind of um, space that, you know, we're seeing the increase in herd size numbers. We're seeing the increase in terms of more intensification of farming. And that's creating its own problems then, isn't it? Like, and it, there's no sign of that going to be abating either. Like. In, in certain parts of the country, it is mm. very worrying. Um, we're losing habitats. We're losing um, scrub and native woodland and, and rough pasture. Um, I mean, native woodland apparently holds uh, 69 times more water than grassland, you know, so it lets it off much more slowly. Um, you also have the enrichment of, of um, nitrates and phosphates from all these extra cows. And I'm, I'm not an expert on it, but the EPA have raised significant concerns over the last few years. And, and yes, government policy seems to be, you know, more more dairy, more cows. You know, it, it's a worry. Yeah. Do you find yourselves kind of caught between a rock and a hard place in the sense of angers to be grumbling about water, river conditions, pollution, nitrates and, and IFI would point the finger at IFI. And, you know, do you find yourselves kind of getting a lot of heat when you're kind of saying, guys, it's actually over here. You need to be kind of talking. Yeah, I, I suppose. And, and a lot of this is above my pay grade, too. I mean, I can't <laughs> engage with government departments on, you know, uh, mm. government policy or agricultural policy. That's way above my pay grade. But yeah, I as one of the people who, who manages our social media, yeah, we, we get it in the neck quite a lot um, for things that, you know, we really can't do a lot about. You know, we have a certain role, but we we can't stop the national herd increasing by 300,000 in six years or whatever it did increase by. You know, that's that's not something we can address. Yeah, but I just think, I suppose, and the unfortunate thing is you, you're probably at the coalface and anglers some disgruntled anglers feel that, you know, they have to direct it at you, you know? Yeah, yeah, but you got to remember, most of us are anglers ourselves. I know, you know yeah, and, yeah. And we care about the rivers and we care about the fish and, and we're, you know, most of our staff are doing their very best to protect the fish, you know. And doing some Trojan work, Trojan and, work, yeah. Yeah, there's some good work going on, yeah. Can I ask you, Kevin, just in terms of salmon run, do you have numbers to hand in terms of, say, 10 compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago? Actually, um, not uh, to hand, but I was talking to one of our scientists yesterday about this, and he says, uh, since 2002, the trend is downwards, um, and since 2007, it's more significantly downwards. Um, last year, maybe, t- sorry, 2021 was maybe an outlier, was a, it stabilized a bit, and certainly the last two years, the spring run has been better than it had, it had been for a number of years, um, but grills numbers are still going down. Um, this year so it's a it's a downward trend around the country that's wow now you do have the figure let's say for example the figures let's say the weir uh, and, and the ridge or the moy fisheries how yeah. are they looking i mean how how are those two fisheries i mean they're two iconic West um, fisheries. yeah they're they're holding their own and um, the moy the moy catch this year was significantly down on the previous year now the previous year angling efforts Everyone was out of lockdown. Angling mm. effort was up. It was a great run. It seemed to be a great run. We got a few floods in the summer, so there was nice water. This year, we had the drought. I know the Galway Weir had 400 fish in June, which was, you know, a good a good June. Um, and we had a good spring run. And once the weather turned warm in July, the fishing just went off a cliff. Um, nice. And it just, the fish just turned off. The fish were there. You could see them. You stand on the mm. bridge and see hundreds of fish in the river 
They just weren't looking at a fly. And, and that seemed to be the same around the place. Um, the Moy, I think, was down about 50% on the previous year. Wow. Um, but the run seemed to be okay. So it's the angling wasn't good, but the run seemed to be okay. Yeah, of course. Well, like the as you me- you mentioned it there, the drought we had during the summer just yeah really. I mean, I was I was guiding I was guiding some German visitors in in July on the Ridgepool. Um, they were part of a tourism Ireland group, and I put my hand in the water and it felt like soup. Yeah, yeah. you know, it just felt so warm. You yeah. know, you, it was no wonder the fish weren't taking. Yeah, quite quite be, understandable. It would actually be interesting. I wonder as well as that if. You know, more anglers will be focusing then in on the, in, on the spring and the autumn time. That you know, concurrently, you'll get the numbers increasing because there's more rods out. Well, yeah, hopefully, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, now, if it's poor spring, poor grills run this year, that doesn't bode well for a good spring run next year. But they're the same yeah. fish, the same feeding grounds, you know. Um, but we'll see. We fingers crossed. Um, and come here, if we're to put them on a on a chart, let's say the um, let's say the weir and the moy, and you put them on a chart for 10 years. How's that line going? Galway, I, I've done the reports on Galway for a number of years and generally stable in Galway. Is um, it? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, and we've, you see, the corrib is a, a good catchment. There's a lot of fairly pristine spawning streams and nursery streams, um, particularly on the west side, you know, your yeah. side and, and the north side, you know. On the east, you have more agriculture, all right, the Clare River uh, up there. But we still get a good run. That's my local river. We still get a good yeah. run of salmon there. When are the decisions made, Kevin, for 2023 in terms of what rivers are open? When, when are those decisions? Okay, so um, the the way it works is the expert uh, group on salmon, which is an independent group. Um, it's got scientists from IFI, from the Marine Institute, from uh, agencies in the north as well. So it's an all-island group. They sit down and they look at the, the data and the fish counter data um, angling catch from the previous year because it won't be updated yet. Um, we do some research work called catchment-wide electrofishing where our staff go out and do five-minute electrofishing in the same site every year. And the, the number of fish, the number of fry that they catch in five minutes um, is a good indicator of spawning success that, that year. Um, so all these bits of data are analysed by the expert group on salmon. They've already met uh, and they've provided their advice to the fishery managers um, in IFI. And then IFI advised the department on the advised catch limits for 2023 for each river, whether that river should be open, catch and release or closed, and whether there should be brown tags. If it's a small surplus on a river, Maybe you need brown tags to, you know, to monitor the catch. The Department of Environment Communications, Climate, Communications and Climate Change. So they then run a four-week public consultation um, and anyone can have their say if you think the scientists have got it badly wrong or you want to make a submission. That's open at the moment. So anglers can do that at the moment. It's open for another couple of weeks. And following that, then the department enacted bylaw um, to legislate the, the changes for 2023 and make all those quotas uh, into law. That's how it works. So it's ongoing at the moment. That should be completed by Christmas so that the first rivers that open in January, you know, it'll be in, in place by then. Just while you were on it there, just for because I know I get it from a few people always ask me, could you explain the brown tag system? 
few of the listeners who probably might be too sure of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so everyone who fishes for salmon, you know, you buy your license and you get three blue tags at the start. They're usually blue most years. And if you catch a salmon, you have, and, and if you take it, you have to put the blue tag on it and, and seal it straight away, you know, and enter it in your logbook. And that's fine on a river where you have a big quota and it doesn't matter how many salmon are taken because we've enough. There are certain rivers where you might only have a surplus of 50 fish available for angling. Um, so if you had 200 anglers and they all took a fish, that's 150 fish more than the river can afford to lose. You know, and it needs those fish to spawn. So the brown tag, you know, there'll be 50 brown tags allocated for that river. And if you want to catch a, take a fish on that river, you must be in possession of brown tag. And if you take a fish, you must use the brown tag immediately. If you're not in, a, in possession of brown tag, you must fish catch and release. And once those brown tags are gone for that river system, that's it. Like, like the, the ad says, once they're gone, they're gone. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. Has the percentage of rivers that use the brown tag system increased in recent years? There's probably a few more. All right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a sign of catch the numbers of fish going down again. You know, there's fewer fish available for surplus. And even some of the rivers that were brown tag are probably gone catch and release now. So, you know, maybe there's fewer brown tag rivers, but they're actually full catch and release rivers, which is not good either, you know, for uh, in terms of numbers of fish. Do we know as well, just in terms of um, general catch and release, like for anglers, like it's quite high, isn't it, in Ireland? I it's, it's coming up. I think last year we hit over 50%. Okay. Um, so, which is great to see. And we, you know, sustainable angling is, is the future. We have to, you know, as salmon anglers, we have to look after the fish. Um, I have no problem with, on a river where there's plenty of fish and a big surplus of no problem with people taking the fish. But we need to be thinking about the future and whether our kids will have salmon to fish for, you know. And uh, certainly the last few years, I haven't taken more than two fish any year. Uh, do we ever envisage compulsory catch and release? Because I know, is it Wales where they were introduced and wasn't it compulsory catch and release? And it's in Wales. I think it's in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, again, above my pay grade. Um, what's, I, your, I think, what's your personal <laughs> thought? <for> that? <laughs> you know, that's policy. Um, I, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd like to see, I think it'd be a terrible indictment of, of um, how we've looked after the fish if we had to go mandatory catch and release for all rivers. Mm. It would mean that you know, we're losing our salmon um, beyond repair nearly. Um, I'd like to see us get back to a situation where we have salmon in abundance and, you know, everyone can take a salmon. Um, and certainly I love a bit of smoked salmon myself. Mm. You know, at Christmas, it's lovely. If it ends up going that way, well, I think it's flagged enough, well enough in advance that I kind of say, well, guys, this is your own quarry. You know, if you're going to keep taking it, it's it ain't going to be there in the future. But Yeah, I, I, look... Look, I mean, coarse anglers, pike anglers, you know, an awful lot of trout anglers release all their catch. Um, I do a lot of bass fishing. I've never taken a bass. Um, you know, we need to be maybe looking at, at you know, reducing our, our take and, and looking after what we put back. Yeah. I have to say, though, like my own experience with salmon anglers, that they're, they are enlightened, you know, um, and I think definitely the younger generation, it's it's all catch and release like for people that I know. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and even you see um, video and photos of people and they're, you know, they're putting the fish back, but they're keeping the fish in the water. Yeah. You know, they're handing them well, taking them in the net, unhooking them in the net, reviving them in the water. 
maybe lift it out for a couple of seconds for a photo and back in the water, you know, and it's, it's great to see people handling fish, looking after them well. The whole tagging system, I'm fascinated by it. Like where, like how long has it been in place? Like what was the, and has it been generally judged to be a successful system? God, it's, it's mostly, it's, it's over 20 years now that the tags mm. have been in. Yeah, it, it's generally successful. It, it allows our staff to monitor and manage the catch and illegal fishing uh, much better. Um, you know, you're allowed 10 fish a year and you must tag all your fish. Um, if you come across an angler now with an untagged fish, you know, come on, guys, it's in 20 years. You know, <laughs> you know, at the start, we would have been, you know, maybe OK. Um, but now you've got to tag all your fish. And the, the limit of 10 fish, I think, is a very fair limit. Um, um, and anyone who's taken fish above and beyond that and, and not tagging the fish, well, you know, you're making your own bed, you can lie in it. We'll, we'll punish you if we catch you. Mm. Is enforcement a big part of um, the role of the IFI? We have a lot of enforcement staff around the country. Um, they do other jobs too. They do development work, you know, and, and education work a lot. But enforcement of, of fishery laws and, and um, you know, we're not, we're not looking at anglers. You know, it's, it's not just anglers. It's, it's illegal fishing. It's poaching, you know, it's snatching and that as well. And, and anglers are a small thing. But, you know, anglers are on the ground and there are eyes and ears as well. And we work with a lot of the anglers and, and we get a lot of information from anglers. So we're not targeting anglers, you know. I think the unfortunate, well, not the unfortunate thing, I mean, but the fact of life is that salmon are commodity. And any commodity has value. And yeah. that's, and you know, you've got to be there to look after that because if you don't, uh, it leaves it open for wide, widespread poaching and chance for yeah. people to make money on it. And once yeah. money can be made at anything, then you'll get people moving into it. Yeah. Now there's, there's less of a market for, for poached salmon these days. Um, people are more aware and our staff visit restaurants and inspect restaurants as well and, and hotels. And, so. and surely that's where the tagging system has worked. Because Absolutely. You know, uh, you any know, restaurant has to have fish with the tag in it. It has, and they it has can't, to. They, if it's a wild salmon, um, it must be a commercial tag from the draft net. Because um, a blue tag it's illegal, won't, it's illegal to sell a rod caught wild salmon. Yeah. The blue tag yeah. won't work. Exactly. Yeah. That has actually really helped in curbing uh, sale of poached poach fish, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it, like it's much harder to get rid of them. Yeah. yeah, now poachers, there are still poachers out there, and certainly in two thousand eight, when the economy collapsed and the unemployment rate shot up, we noticed a huge upsurge in poaching. You know, guys were out of work; they, they'd more time, they all the time in the world on their hands, and they'd no money. So the temptation was there. In recent years, full employment. You know, people have generally plenty of money. Um, you know. It's, it's less of a problem. It's still a, a problem in certain areas. And our staff, I uh, don't know give away too much, but it's intelligence-led um, policing, shall we say. And they're, they're very aware of where the problems are. And we have a lot of new technology that we can use to, to catch these guys. And there's also a 24-hour hotline, isn't there, Kevin, for people? There is, yeah, yeah. 0818-347424 or FISH24. Yeah, anyone can report Water pollution, poaching, anything they see that's, you know, a bit dodgy, they can report that any time of day. How does that work? Like if it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm driving by some, and I see something dodgy going on. I <laughs> so it goes to a call centre um, and they they have uh, 
they'll take as much information as they can and then they will look up their list of um, staff for that area um, and they'll do it. You generally one contact in each um, region um, or, or, or a list of contacts. Uh, the number one, if they get no answer, they'll go to number two, number three, et cetera. You know, we will eventually get the call and, and respond to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's good to know, and like you said, it's anglers who can be the eyes and the ears on the ground, which is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Did you get much fishing done yourself? <laughs> you mentioned yeah. you were guiding. I wish. I wish. No, I have I have three kids under five, so my fishing career is pretty much on hold at the moment. Um, I fished a handful of times for salmon this year, and it's the first year in about twenty years that I didn't catch a salmon. Um, right. And some of that was down to the conditions and and some of that was probably down to me not being a, a great salmon angler so you mentioned that you do a bit of bass fishing as well where do you go for the bass uh if i told that i'd have to shoot you That's... But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, i'm thinking more like the i was actually just going to say that <laughs> i wasn't looking for specific oh no, no bass anglers yeah bass anglers don't tend to give away their marks but yeah north clare usually is the nearest place to me and um, if I get down south to Cork or Kerry, you know, I'll have a bass rod in the car. But again, it's few and far between these days. It's funny, though, interesting. The salmon anglers, you see it increasingly, I think, summertime, because the way the waters, are, the rivers are getting, and a lot of salmon anglers, I know, turn into to the coast. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, salmon angling is, it's not a six months of the year, seven day a week, you know, pastime. It's when you get a flood, you get a couple of days of fishing and then the river's too low again, you know, for many of our rivers. So, you know, in summertime, there's so much more on the coastline that you can fish for bass, pollock, wrasse. I mean, the lure fishing on our West coast for pollock and wrasse is unbelievable. Um, it's incredible sport. Um, and, and I love that too, but the, the bass, particularly from Clare South, um, but they're also, they're spreading further north. They're getting bass on lures in Donegal now. And friends up there catching bass, you know. So. Well, it's funny you should say that because I know a guy who does lobster pots off the Connemara coast. I'm leaving that broad, right? And he just mentioned to me one day, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to see quite a few bass. And um, I turned to him, I said, where? And just the conversation went dead. And he looked at me yeah. and he smiled. Well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> Exactly. And I actually wasn't really thinking. I, I was just genuinely going, Joe, where? Yeah. And I had it said. But um, yeah, so it's, it, I have heard that, that they are creeping up the West Coast. Yeah, they seem to be just recolonizing areas that they would have been in before. I mean, up to into the 80s, the bass collapsed. And that's why in 1990, they brought in the bylaw, uh, no commercial fishing for bass. And they brought in a two fish limit for anglers. Um, and the commercial ban is still in place. Thank God, you know. Um, bass numbers seem to be fairly stable the last few years. They've, they come back up a good bit and they seem to be fairly stable now. They haven't come back to abundance. And, and that's possibly maybe climate change, but more probably that when they go offshore to spawn, they spawn in the Celtic deeps out in the Celtic Sea. And, and there seem to be some commercial boats uh, from other countries targeting them out there when they're spawning. Just on the conservation and that side of things, um... Kevin, do you feel, do you often feel, because obviously I think was it, is it salmon number? I was reading it's gone from 15% of returning um, smalls down to 5%, I think. Is that it since what we've seen? Uh, yeah, no, I think in the 70s and 80s, it was about 25% of smolts survived to come back to the coast. And we had a huge drift net fishery back then, taking, you know, hundreds of thousands of fish. Um, and, and 
we did a lot of micro-tagging. The Marine Institute did a lot of micro-tagging, so they got a very good, um, uh, were able to monitor that percentage accurately. Um, in recent years, there's no drift netting, so in spite of the removal of that pressure, you still have numbers declining, and the problem is definitely seems to be at sea. Average year is about 5% survival now. Yeah, Obviously getting targeted out in the open sea. Well, I don't know about targeted... You know, climate change is affecting their their prey species. Right, fair you enough. Know, are yeah, they no. having to travel further to find the food and right, see they're going yeah. further north in the Norwegian Sea? Are they competing? There's theories about you know huge numbers of mackerel up there competing with them and predating on smolts. Um, I don't know. It the scientists can't tell us. You know, do you feel it almost as if you're, you're kind of because so much is happening out there? That you know, you're trying to do your job at one hand tied behind your back, nearly in the sense of you can only do so much of what your remit is. Yeah, well, I suppose we have to maximize the smolt production in freshwater, then that's all we can do. Yeah. We can't Im- impact, well, not that I'm aware of that we can impact what's happening at sea. Um, but if we can maximize the smolt production by looking after water quality, by looking after habitat, by not planting forestry, you know, um, all over the place. Um, mm. by not draining rivers and bogs around the place. If we can look after the rivers and maximise the smoke production, that's all we can do, you know. Um, now, if it gets down to us that numbers continue to decline, maybe ban on commercial fishing and catch and release angling in the future might be necessary. Do you know in terms of how many rivers are actually closed completely? Like, uh, Gosh, that, you know, the definition of the Salmon River, I'm not even sure of, because there are small rivers all along the coast that will get a handful of salmon, but they're not regarded as salmon rivers. I think we have about 170 rivers that will be classified as salmon rivers, and I think about 80 or 90 of those are closed. Okay, so it's about 50%. Like. About yeah. 50%. Now, that's off the top of my head. You know, I wouldn't like to be... Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So I suppose you nearly get the sense of we're trying to kind of focus our efforts and um, conservation efforts on maybe the 50% that we have and try and hold on to them. Like, is that the kind of the key to it? Like, yeah. I suppose you have to pick your wins, you know, and, and focus your resources where you can. We couldn't spread it over all of those rivers. But at the same time, each of those rivers probably has a genetically unique strain of salmon because each river is, you know, unique. These fish are coming back to, the, to their own river. And over thousands of years, they've evolved different characteristics. Um, I mean, moi fish tend to be much smaller than Galway fish. Um, yeah. The grills, you know, in, in my experience anyway, I think that's most people's experience. And that's just genetics, you know. Um and it'd be a shame to lose those strains of fish, but we do have to focus resources on, on where we can get the biggest wins. Yeah, you finish interesting there about uh, closing the rivers. I've always felt, and this is my just my own view, a bit of a double-edged sword, because if if a river is closed and, and there are no anglers on it, and you mentioned it as well, anglers actually are the eyes and ears. So you know, if there are no anglers on a river and there's still a couple of salmon in it. That it, it is the possibility is there for the ne'er do goods, you know, yeah. the poacher to come yeah. in and have kind of open season. Now, I do understand where the, the indigenous fish stock in that system have to be protected, but you are taking away one of the probably 
one of the best water keepers you can have in a genuine yeah. salmon angler. So yeah. I, I do feel that is a double edged yeah, sword. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. And like that's that's a problem we know we know about. Again, above my pay grade, it's a policy yeah. issue, you know. <laughs> and anglers are great for keeping an eye on the river and deterring poaching. I suppose a lot of the closed rivers are closed because the stock is so critically low that even a catch and released fish, you know, there is a slight mortality on on yeah. uh, release fish. And even that is is too much. And maybe there isn't enough temptation in those rivers for poachers to really go after them. But our right. staff know know where to focus. You know, they, they know that too, and they will keep a better eye on, on a lot of the closed rivers, you know. The other thing, just in terms of um, fish numbers, uh, Kevin, is obviously fish farms and the effect that they can have on uh, wild salmon and sea trout. That's an obvious fact, isn't it, in terms of what we know, in terms of that they are having a detrimental effect on runs? Uh, absolutely, yeah, they, they do. Um, and we've published a lot of research to show that over the last few years. Dr. Paddy Gargan, who's just retired, um, eminent fishery scientist, and he's, he's published a lot of research um, over the last 10, 12 years with uh, scientists from around Europe and across the Atlantic as well in some very reputable journals that proves beyond doubt that um, fish farms and the lice from fish farms are having a big impact on salmon and sea trout. So we all knew that when the sea trout collapsed in Connemara in the 1980s, you know, the only thing that changed was the introduction of, of salmon farming. Um, everything else, there was no additional agriculture at the time. Um, so, and, and there's no big towns in, in those bays in, in putting in a lot of sewage. So, you know, salmon farming is, is an issue and it's been proven. Um, it's, I think it's, it's, it's no secret that IFI is, is uh, concerned about it. Um, our managers have made representations to, to policymakers on many occasions, and we would certainly prefer to see salmon farming on land in closed containment systems. There are problems with that too in terms of energy inputs and, and maybe water pollution that'll have to be managed, but it removes the lice problem, which is a big impact on salmon populations. And these salmon populations are keystone species in special areas of conservation. They have European protection and they need to be protected better. Yeah, 100%. Um, and yeah. it's just one more battle that has to be fought in <laughs> all the other battles <laughs> that are, yeah. that are yeah. um, and it's yeah. something in fairness um you know we've covered we we've kind of highlighted Loch Marie in Scotland and we're actually doing an, an episode find yeah. out a bit more about the science behind it and how looking at how policy in Scotland is changing and we're hoping that this will kind of maybe shine a light um and kind of look to to Ireland as well in in this ongoing yeah ongoing yeah. issue um just finally uh kevin before we let you go it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you in terms of getting real insights in relation to the salmon numbers um you're you also do uh, work with the youths um, side of things you might just give us some kind yeah. of into that like because it's such yeah. a vital area as well. so yeah ifi runs a project called something fishy um it's uh educational project with schools so we go into primary schools uh senior cycles so third to sixth class um, and it, it basically has a series of lesson plans, which goes on, uh, teaches children about uh, water and the water cycle and the animals and, and fish living in the rivers. A good bit about this life cycle of the salmon, because, 
you know, it's a great way to bring in other impacts on, on the fish. Um, a bit about angling, a bit about cooking fish and the nutritional benefits of fish. Um, and they, they get a great lot, deal out of it. It ties in with the science curriculum in, in senior cycle, but it brings in um, geography and history and culture and arts and crafts. They do projects and some of the arts we've, the art we've seen over the years um, and competitions have been amazing. Um, the teachers teach the lesson plans over maybe eight weeks. And then if we can, if there's a nearby river, we bring them to the river and we do some kick sampling of the invertebrates in the river and they have to identify the mayflies, the stoneflies, the caddisflies. Um, and then we do some electrofishing. And uh, so they'll get to, you know, hands on, maybe hold a young salmon or a young trout in their hands and identify it. Uh, and the best is when we catch a big eel and they're trying to pick up the eel. You, know? <laughs> you, you get a, maybe a 10-year-old girl who's like, ah, you know, but five minutes later, she's hands in the bucket. She's trying to get this eel out, to, you know, to compete with her pals. You know, it's, it's great crack. And I had I had one girl who, um, she was a disabled girl, uh, physically disabled, but she was the best crack at a school. I won't say where. And we were doing some electrofishing. And at the end, we, we finished uh, the, the thing. And I said, any questions now? And uh, this little girl pipes up. And she said, you see that, uh, that thing you have for the electricity for taking the fish out? Where would I get one of those, she says. <laughs> I've often thought that myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit like, where are you catching the bass? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it is great. And it, so it fosters a sense of ownership and stewardship of their local river for these students. I've had parents, you know, I've met guys on the river and this is, oh, you were in the school there. Yeah, yeah. My young lad was telling me I can't spread slurry near the river now. And that's it. Yeah. So yeah. they're they're educating the parents as well, you know, in responsible environmental behaviors. And, and they're going home and they're putting that into practice themselves, you know, and hopefully that you know, over many years, it's been going for 15, 20 years now, but over many years, hopefully, with a generation of students who know how to look after the river better. We do a bit of coaching as well. We do some education, some outreach work as well. Um, so occasionally we do some coaching of uh, generally disadvantaged uh, minority groups, you know. So I was meant to have a group on a beach here yesterday, but yellow weather warning for a wind and rain, so <laughs> they had to cancel. Now, I have to say, it's a fantastic program. Well done to you. It really is fantastic. Well yeah, you know, it's one of the most enjoyable parts of my job is, is going out and meeting the students and, and teachers and, and uh, showing them in the river, you know, all the animals. Because you look in the river, one of the questions I ask them is, you know, what can you see in the river there? And they say water and rocks and weed, you know. And then, then you show them a, a white tray that you've done a kick sample in, and it's absolutely teeming with life. Yeah, all the different invertebrates and freshwater shrimp and sometimes even crayfish or little elvers, you know, and they're astonished by how much life there is just in one small bit of the riverbeds, you know. That's fantastic. You know what we say? Molanoga, August Tukishid. Tukishid. Yeah, Tukishid. Listen, okay, so listen, Kevin, that's absolutely fantastic. But before you go, we have one question and we ask everybody who comes on, what is your most memorable fish. Now, it doesn't have to be the biggest. What's your most memorable fish? Oh, on the fly. You know, I fished in Argentina and caught some amazing fish there. I fished in New Zealand and lost some amazing fish there. 
uh, didn't didn't manage to land the big one. Uh, but I, don't, I I think you can't go past your first salmon on the fly. And for <laughs> me, it was only a six pound grills, but I'd been trying for a while, and the fight I had, and the, the euphoria and the relief when I got that fish up on the bank. You know, it was just, where where did you uh, get them? It was the River Reeling, uh, tributary of the Finn up in Donegal. Um, right. It's a beautiful, beautiful river up in the Blue Stack Mountains, um, drains some wild country. It only fishes on a flood after rain, you know. Uh, and it's, it's, it's where I, I'll never forget it's where I caught my first salmon. I've got a few more in it since, but I, I'll never forget that fish. Yeah. Were you trying for long to get one on the fly? That's uh, a few months of trying, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I say a few months, I got a bit addicted to just fishing. <laughs> I was going out a lot more than I should have been, maybe. Sorry, and your problem oh, is I, I, I was I was fishing in even unsuitable conditions. Maybe uh, how would you put it? I I should have had more fish for the amount of hours I was putting in. Ah, yeah, still, yeah. But through that, you learn. You do, yeah. Yeah, you do. Nah. You, know, you only have to wait another 10 years when the kids are growing up now, Kevin, before you can go fishing. <laughs> well, hopefully my young lad will get an interest. He's, he's five now and the next couple of years, hopefully he'll, he'll get an interest. You know, That's what I do. That's what I do. Ah, yeah. well, secrets are out, lads. <laughs> get them in. That's your, that's your, that's your trick to get out. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Crowley from IFI. Thanks a million. Some really interesting insights um, in relation to the salmon data. And I suppose for everybody, if you haven't put your center tags in, send them in. It's not too late. Um, it's great for um, you know science and information numbers. And keep an eye out. I suppose um, the week before New Year to uh, the announcement for the for the rivers that'll be to be open for twenty twenty three. Kevin Crowley, thanks a minute for joining us. Thanks, guys. Our thanks to Kevin Crowley for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. <laughs>